The Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast, a Prairie Proud Wrestling Podcast covering everything from Winnipeg to worldwide. My name is Blair Pacheco. I hope you're doing well. I told you earlier this week uh, when I had uh, released the Damon Spriggle uh, podcast episode that I would be back this week, and I did not lie. Here I am again. Another fantastic episode, another great interview, uh, another great guest, I should say. Um, we're going to kick things off and jump right into it. Uh, I'm stoked to share it with you. Uh, this week, I was joined by Sean Martins. Uh, Sean has been absolutely on fire all up and down the uh, the West, making a name for himself in Alberta, Manitoba. He's tearing it up, and we get into a lot of uh, a lot of the matches he's been a part of and just uh, the frequency that he's worked he's really was putting himself out there the past uh, past couple of years so we get into all that stuff without further ado on the Grainmaker wrestling podcast Sean Martins as a youngster growing up what was your first introduction to wrestling uh well as a youngster growing up my first introduction to wrestling was probably um my uncle and uh, he introduced me to WWF wrestling. Um, oh. My earliest memory is King Kong Bundy and uh, Hulk Hogan, um, WrestleMania too. Okay, so that's way back. So you've you've been able to experience multiple generations of different wrestling. You know the way it's sort of progressed throughout time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it is quite interesting when you kind of sit back and look at the evolution. Um, I, I know for myself, being in the midst of it, you don't really necessarily notice it happening while it's happening. Mm-hmm. But if, if you sit back and you actually look at things by decade or era, you can definitely see the way that things change. Uh, it's not the same business that it was in uh, 1984, that's for sure. Definitely. Now, as someone who's part of wrestling, uh, what are some of the biggest takeaways you've noticed from back in the early 80s to where we are now? Oh, I think the big, some of the biggest takeaways to now versus then is uh, the fans seem a lot smarter. And I don't know if that's necessarily that they're more in the know as much as they, they're more entitled and they think they're in the know. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're a lot more demanding of the things that they expect you to be able to do and the things that they want you to do. And uh, very much so more vocal at the things that they dislike. But it's never in the proper ways. It's that guy should get fired because why did he make this decision as opposed to he's a bad guy and he made a bad decision as like a bad person. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, you're not the first, uh, first person to mention, you know, the fan aspect to it. How do you deal with something like that? How do you get around it? If you hear it towards yourself? Well, it's a tricky one because it, it definitely happens, uh, as, you just kind of got to steer into it. Mm-hmm. So whether it's positive or negative, you got to steer into it and make it a positive for yourself. Um, just understanding the way that marketing works. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So if somebody were to say something like that about myself, I might steer into it and uh, make some sort of quip about in a promo about it or quip during a match about it or do something like everything is wrestling. Mm-hmm. Everything ties together. Oh, for sure. So 
King Kong Bundy watching with your uncle WrestleMania three. That's your WrestleMania two, three. WrestleMania two, yeah. Two. Um, I was getting them confused. Uh, that's your first introduction. Now, growing up, who were you a fan of? Who did you gravitate towards? See, that, that's something else that's kind of interesting. So growing up a, a, as a youngster, um, definitely gravitated towards guys like Hulk Hogan, Bret Hart, mm-hmm. uh, Shawn Michaels. But as I get older and I don't know, maybe you could say smarter, um, I find myself nowadays gravitating to- more towards the uh, Kurt Hennings and the Rick Roots, mm-hmm. uh, Rick Flair's, the uh, maybe some more. Uh, Bobby Eaton is a huge inspiration for me. Mm-hmm. Um Basically, anything that the Midnight Express did, I'm a huge fan of. NWA style wrestling is something that I'm more into now, whereas when I was in my younger years, it was all about uh, the New York territory. It's funny how that happens, because I feel sort of the same way uh, being up in Canada. I mean, we I feel like we weren't really privy to too much NWA. Uh, I vaguely remember the odd time, you know, getting TBS and you'd be able to see like WCW Saturday night, Saturday night on there or the odd clash of champions, but you didn't get too much. So now being able to go back and seeing, you know, Rick rude when he was in WCW, for example, stuff that's almost brand new and just seeing how the incredible matches he had, like with Ricky steamboat or Dustin Runnels, it, it really stands out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely two different styles, um, sports entertainment and pro wrestling. They're, they're definitely two separate genres. And I think our goal today should be to amalgamate the two genres into one. Now, as a wrestler nowadays, uh, trying to combine the two, what have you noticed being, you know, some of the more difficult aspects of that? Um, Some of the more difficult aspects of that. uh, Well, definitely the fans. So you're going to run into two different types of fans. Okay. So you're going to run into your, smart indie fans that want you to be able to do all the flips and all the fast paced Lucha stuff. They don't care about the psychology of the why and whens of things. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to find, you're going to run into actual professional wrestling fans who want the story. They want the slow build. They want the holds. So trying to mix the two together, they're kind of like water and oil. They don't really like to mix together too much mm-hmm. because as soon as I start to put on a hold and slow things down, you've got one segment it's upset and then the moment you start to pick up the speed you've got another segment of fans that are upset so it's kind of like maybe balancing between the two groups i think it's uh underestimated how much patience is a virtue as a fan with watching wrestling letting things play out and just taking in the entire story i think for so long it's been you know you get what you want right away and now you know you see a little bit more where the storylines are being played out or the matches are, you know, not being rushed through. And it's a bit of an adjustment for some fans. Yeah, absolutely. It seems to be. Um, The Monday night wars were both an amazing thing and a terrible thing for this business. Mm -hmm. Um, It completely changed the way the TV is perceived in North America. And it has changed the way that fans are looking at professional wrestling, even in the mainstream culture. In the 80s and even the early 90s, it, TV wasn't about the, the main marquee matches. TV was about an advertisement for the main matches on either the pay-per-view or the live events. Mm-hmm. And the Monday Night Wars kind of turned that on its head and made it so that you were getting Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Triple H 
on Monday Night Raw for free, or Goldberg versus Hulk Hogan for the World Heavyweight title on Nitro for free. Mm -hmm. And people start to expect these main marquee matches every single night. And while that's great to have these great matches every night, it kind of takes a detriment in telling a story and establishing a character. And that's kind of the side of it that I think is really suffering with this. Mm -hmm. Now let's go back to uh, yourself getting into wrestling. When did you first think that this was something that you wanted to pursue? Um, well, actually I can, the moment it was Royal Rumble, 1997, uh, Sid Vicious versus Shawn Michaels. And I don't know what it was about that match, but when Shawn Michaels won that World Heavyweight Championship, something inside me clicked and decided that this is something that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I haven't looked back. Um, anybody listening to this that has been in a similar place can probably relate. Like you, you tell family and friends, this is what you want to do. This is what you're going to do. And you get laughed at and made fun of. And like, it's not a positive experience. Mm-hmm. And I think any of us that have actually put boots on deserve the respect of knowing that we've all gone through that ridicule at some mm-hmm. point in time in our lives and overcome it to a, whatever extent that that is. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I think that it's especially because uh, I, I think I'm a couple years older than you. So we're from almost a generation where, you know, it, there was a lot of that, a lot of, oh, you want to be a wrestler and you would get scoffed at and brushed aside. Like that's never going to happen, you know? It, it might be a little different now. I'm not too sure. I think it all depends on the, you know, the family and friends that people have, but I, I definitely know where you're coming from with this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I dealt with it a lot. Uh, I'm glad to say that I've overcome it. I'm glad to see where I am right now, but it's only the beginning. Mm-hmm. So where and when did you first uh, get into training? Where did you uh, go for it? Oh, wow. Um, so, when I first got into training, um, it, it, it's a long, interesting story. I got hooked up with a school through an internet messaging board. If any of us that are old enough to remember what that actually is. <laughs> um, I was 15 years old. I ended up signing up to a wrestling training camp in Calgary um, under Rick Bogner. And uh, I trained with them for a short while there. And then... Uh, Shortly after, got involved with Real Canadian Wrestling. Okay. And ended up taking a hiatus for about five, ten years, something like that, before I made my return to training again with Monster Pro Wrestling and Massive Damage and Phil LaFon. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been going strong ever since that. When did you kick back into things? Was that 2000? It was later in the 2010s, or correct? Uh yeah, later in the 2010s, um, there's a match 2000 and I was starting to kick back in in 2010. Okay. And uh, that's when I, I fell and broke my arm and uh, had surgery to re- reconstruct it. So that actually made me take a bunch of time off. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was 2016. Okay. That I made the return to Monster Pro Wrestling and started training with those guys there. And uh, so... I mean, that early stuff really isn't anything to be proud of. Like, there was a lot of really bad stuff there, and I don't really like to revisit. However, I don't think that any part of your history should ever be completely forgotten. Mm-hmm. I do like to consider myself a professional wrestler from 2016 on. So it's like six years now, something like that. 
learning from someone like Phil Lafon, who has traveled the world and been a part of, you know, all Japan and wrestled some very high pro profile matches. What were some of the biggest takeaways that you were able to grab from him? Well, I think the biggest takeaway that I've taken away from Phil is uh, always be kind and always be humble. Mm -hmm. um, I've never met a human being that's as humble as Phil Lafon. He is quite possibly one of the greatest human beings I've ever met on this earth. Not knowing who he is and what he's done, you would never suspect that he's ever done any of the things that he has. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I take that very seriously. You, you don't need to believe your own hype in order to be successful. Even when you would see him in a match, he uh, like I would always get the vibe from him that he was never, that he was very down to earth, you know? And it's weird to say that as a fan watching wrestling, but he didn't give off that like larger than life or over the top sort of vibe. No, Phil was definitely trained old school in Japan. So he, he's very humble, very, very quiet, but uh, that man could rip your arm off without even thinking twice. Like he is an extremely talented wrestler, mm -hmm. um, both shoot and professional wrestling. And uh, he's a very dangerous man, but you'd never know it to meet him. Is he someone that you still keep in touch with to this day? Uh, he's someone that I try to keep in touch with to this day. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, he's a busy guy. <laughs> My first uh, time seeing you was a PCW show, um, 2019, okay. Back to School Bash, and I think you faced off against Team Impact. And one of the biggest takeaways that I I had from that match was when you came out, like your aura, your presence, like seeing you up there, I you could have put you in the Heenan family as like the stud of that stable, and you wouldn't think anything of it. So. What is like when you're, you know, developing yourself and getting ready for matches, what sort of, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? How do you get ready to, um, I'm at a loss for words almost. You're, you're, you're trying to ask, uh, how do I get into character? How do I get into that mindset? Pretty much because it just the, the way you present yourself, I thought was a next level, something really okay. really great well I, I really appreciate that that's definitely the goal um i do remember that match had a lot of fun working with team impact mm -hmm. uh I, I think the biggest thing is that I, i've learned from other people around, around the world and uh one of the things that i've learned is to kind of like have go-to exercises before you step through the curtain to help put you in the mindset it's kind of like a hypnosis type thing okay it's self-hypnosis almost where like I can get into a character just by saying a few specific words backstage. And I, I say it every time before I go through the curtain. And it's why the moment that I walk through that curtain, I've got that grin or that smirk already. Because mm -hmm. that entrance is just as important as any part of the match. So you don't have those first three or four steps in order to get into character. Mm -hmm. It's basically as soon as you're through the curtain, it is... Absolutely. You're on show. Yeah. Um, I was reading up on, you know, some of your match history and that, you know, good old cage match. And in 2021, I mean, most of North America was still dealing with COVID. There's not tons of shows going on, but you had a very busy year. You were really putting yourself out there and 
really taking in as many shows as you can. What yep. was what was that like with the pandemic going on, but you're still incredibly active? Uh, uh, fortunate is the biggest word to use. Um, I was able to, I was lucky enough to come across a group of three promoters that were consistently running throughout the entire COVID era. So if mm-hmm. you actually look, I was just as active in 2020 as I was in 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really didn't think too much of it. Obviously, we recognized that all the houses were down. A lot of those matches were done in empty arenas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something I'm very proud of, being as busy as I am. Um, I think in 2021, I might have been the most busy in all of Canada. I think without a doubt, because I mean, it seemed like almost every weekend or every other weekend you were yeah. putting in the work, which is incredibly admirable when a lot of people are just kind of holding back, not really just kind of waiting to see how it plays out, but you were chomping at the bit, still putting yourself out there and making it yeah, for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And what cage match doesn't tell you is I went down with COVID twice <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, there was like a series of like three or four months in 2021 where I had no shows. So mm-hmm. definitely, I'm quite proud of those numbers. And I'm hoping that 2022, with uh, things opening back up, um, they're only going to grow and get larger. Mm-hmm. 2022 and beyond, I should say. You have been uh, a mainstay with uh, CWE for the past little bit. You've done the tours, uh, been a part of all the shows. What's it been like being a part of those tours? Uh, the, the tours are hectic, uh, a lot of fun. Uh, can be very stressful. Um, <laughs> definitely, it's Murphy's Law, right? Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And uh, you get five to ten guys together from the professional and you send them across the country. Things are going to happen. <laughs> and uh, things happen, absolutely. Um, a lot of fun. Uh, I can't wait for those tours to start again. Do you have any uh, specific shows or any tours in particular that stand out to you? Um, you know, like off the top of my head, there's not one particular instance that stands out to me. I, I'm sure if we were sitting down over a couple of drinks, things would start to pop at me and I'd have stories. Mm-hmm. But uh, off the top of my head for right now, no, there's nothing that's absolutely specific. So I guess what I'm saying to all the listeners out there is find me in a bar somewhere and buy me a beer and I'm sure. <laughs> now, I mean, 2016, you know, you kicked back into things. And now, I mean, we're eight years later, you're a, a main part of these shows. What kind of advice are you giving to some of the younger guys that are coming up to you asking for tips or, you know, guidance along the way? Um, well, uh, very simple, actually. Uh, grind it out. And remember your, remember the basic things. Look the part, feel the part, be the part. Mm-hmm. Um, it's everything that we do with in between the ropes is great. It needs to be good, but it's not the be all and end all. What, what is really important is the way that people perceive you and the reactions that you're getting. So you're not necessarily going to be able to get the reaction you're looking for by doing the crazy corkscrew moonsault off the top rope. Mm-hmm. The same as you will if you're wearing gear that looks good and you've got a certain aura about yourself and you walk with confidence. It's really the same thing that you try to tell people throughout all walks of life. Just people 
are attracted to confidence. So the more confidence you have, whether in the ring or outside of the ring, the more successful you're going to be. And that goes for with fans and promoters alike. Yeah. First impressions are always, you know, no matter what anyone says, a first impression does last. So you want to be able to present yourself and put yourself in the best possible scenario for yourself. Uh, recently you've been doing a lot of stuff with a uh, Can-Am wrestling out in Alberta. And, uh, I know that, uh, you did a string of shows, uh, that Josh Alexander was a part of someone yep. who's, uh, you know, a very well-known Canadian born wrestler, uh, being a part of that, seeing what he's doing himself on the independence, really putting himself out there. What sort of things were you able to grab from him? Kind of reassured kind of what I said about Phil Lafon, uh, staying humble, uh, Josh is a very, very humble guy and uh, doesn't doesn't put out an aura that he thinks any highly more highly of himself than anybody else. So that that's a very important thing to take away. Um, on top of that, uh, he works his ass off whether he's working in front of five people or fifty thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know I'm guilty of this myself. Sometimes you see a crowd out there of 20 people and you're like, well, I'm going to save this and this. Cause like, I don't need to get hurt for this many people. And, uh, well, I don't necessarily think that that's wrong in self-preservation. I don't necessarily think that it's right either. Mm-hmm. So it's finding the balance between the two of those. You did mention being a part of a lot of, uh, empty, you know, arena show so to say during 2021 um other than the fact of having full houses back for 2022 and beyond what else are you looking forward to less injuries hopefully uh that's one thing i noticed with these empty arena things or these low attendance things is that uh, the adrenaline doesn't flow quite the same and uh, you open yourself up to injury a lot easier mm-hmm. so here's hoping that we can get those houses up and uh, avoid injury um, other than that, I'm with full houses and the lack of mandates, I'm hoping to really start to spread out a little bit more. I was really starting to get into the U.S. scene a little bit more right before COVID happened. Mm-hmm. And that kind of got stomped out by COVID and its mandates. So here's hoping that 2022 and beyond, perhaps I can start crossing those international lines a little easier. Do you have any uh, places that you really have your eyes set on? Like, uh, um, obviously, the States, do you want to dip down, you know, to Mexico? Maybe do you want to go overseas? Um, I'd love to go overseas to uh, your European countries. Uh, Mm -hmm. I have a big interest in New Zealand, a personal interest in in visiting there. So I'd like to do that. And then, of course, the king of all kings is Japan. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. I think that's a mainstay for everyone that I've talked to is wanting to be able to go over there and learn. It's such a, a mecca of professional wrestling. Absolutely. You have had uh, a few matches with Mentlo, and I, I mean, he is one of the, you know, a very, one of the top wrestlers, you know, on the independent scene. Facing off with him, you know how good he is. How do you use that as a measuring stick for yourself and to keep pushing yourself? Uh, we call it the mental curve, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, there was a point when I started doing matches with Mentalo where I didn't think that I could measure up to him. And every match that I have with him, I find myself getting just a little bit better in one way or another. Um, 
I generally judge his feelings and his happiness. He doesn't even have to say anything. I can just tell by the his reaction when we get back to the current, whether it was good or bad, and then we can make adjustments from there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you only get better by working with people that are better than you. Mm-hmm. So having the opportunity to work as many matches with somebody like Mentolo as I have and seem to continue to, um, it's only going to be better for me as a performer and a, as an individual. Um, that being said, Medicine Hat, I'm going to take both of his titles. So he can look forward to that. Um, I mean, you've mentioned matches with him. And I mean, what are some matches for yourself that really stand out to you that you've been a part of? Oh. Um, I definitely, man, I, I don't, a lot of the matches that I had with Jude Dawkins throughout uh, the Lethbridge PPW days definitely stand out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely anything that I've done with Mentolo, uh, match that I had on a women Las Vegas with Sin Bodhi was uh, great as well. Uh, some of the tour stuff that I did where CWE with TK O'Ryan and uh, who else was there? Vincent was mm-hmm. in that match, I believe, as well. That's just a, a few. So, so well, any of that stuff like, like that. Um, um, actually, my thrash heavyweight championship match with Danny Duggan down in uh, North Dakota. That actually stands out to me quite a bit too. Okay. Um, now I know growing up, you I'm sure we're familiar with wrestling magazines. You know, PWI, Wrestling Insider. Yep. Uh, recently. PWI, uh, Pat LaProd from out in uh, Quebec, he started doing a top 10 for Canada for PWI. Well, you don't and, say. And if you look through the top, we'll just go over the top three. You have Matt Angel, Artemis Spencer, and yourself at number three. Yeah. You see something like that. You see that you are being recognized from, you know, all across Canada with something like this. What does that say, or how does that? you know, say to you, make you feel, because I mean, you grew up with the magazines and it's, you see your name in there now. It's got to be a great feeling. Um, It absolutely is a great feeling and it feels really good to be recognized. That being said, it's this professional wrestling and accomplishments mean not as much as the paper that they're printed on. Mm -hmm. That being said, um, it's definitely something you want to steer into. You definitely something you can be proud of and use to your advantage. It's a tool. Pat mm-hmm. has provided me with a marketing tool is the way that I see it. Very honored, very humbled to be listed amongst those other names. But at the end of the day, I see it as a marketing tool. Uh, recently, you have been a part of a, a feud with the gods of metal out in Can-Am wrestling. Yep. Uh, been a part of some really big matches out there. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about those. Uh, yeah, uh, the gods of metal are amazing. Uh, very, very great, upstanding gentlemen. Uh, Cody Mack and Jordan Aries, both very young in their careers. And under the tutelage of uh, Johnny Devine, they're really starting to come into their own. A mm-hmm. um, couple of guys that uh, I really look forward to getting in the ring with. Uh, the Full Metal Mayhem match, definitely. It's a little bit of a cluster. I- I'm going to admit that. And then I, I put a lot of the blame on that on myself for outside stuff but uh this cage match that we just had last week um was excellent 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I couldn't have been more pleased to share it with a couple of guys like the gods of metal. Um, you mentioned, you know, the, the full metal mayhem, you know, you weren't at, at your best for that. How do you as a wrestler bounce back to, you know, the next match, having a better performance there? Um, I can only speak for myself, but uh, I think it really comes down to owning your mistakes and uh, moving on. Accept uh, that you, you're the reason that this happened, that this is what happened. Uh, look at what you could do differently next time mm-hmm. in order to make it better and uh, just move on because at the end of the day, this is professional wrestling. This is independent wrestling and you can't let this stuff sit in your brain for too long or else it'll just eat you alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had mentioned, you know, that you always want the best competition, you know, to, you know, to be able to test yourself with the best wrestlers out there. Is there anyone out there right now that you have your eyes set on that you want to be able to face off with? No, there, there's not really one name. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like it's, it's not cool to like list names and uh, leave people off the list. That's I want to wrestle everybody and anybody. Um what I was getting at about the best competition is I feel like you only get better when you wrestle somebody that's better than you are. Mm-hmm. So I want to be the best that there is. So in order to do that, I have to wrestle multiple times with people better than me. So I guess right now in my circuit, I would love another match with Johnny divine. I felt like the first time we worked it, uh, I wasn't there for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely always looking forward to more matches with Mentolo. Who knows? Maybe something's coming down the pipe with AJ Sanchez. Uh, I'd love to get in the ring again with Danny Duggan. Um, mm-hmm. Just a few names. I think uh, it's something that gets understated enough in independent wrestling is uh, you, you can go back and look at previous, you know, match results from, you know, say seven, eight years ago, and you'll see names on there that, have really made an impact today in wrestling. So you really don't know who you are watching when you go out. Absolutely. Uh, that very same tour, the, the last big tour we did where we had uh Hooventude on the tour, mm-hmm. I think on five of the dates of the 36, we had Dante Martin as his previous gimmick. I don't even remember what it, what it was at this uh, point. It was uh angel Dorado, I think. Or angel Arrow. Dorado. That's right. So we had angel Dorado in Oak Lake, Manitoba. Mm-hmm. And I wrestled him there. And uh, who in Oak Lake, Manitoba that morning would have woke up and be like, I'm going to go watch this guy that's about to be on national television. Mm-hmm. So you never know who you're watching and who's going to show up where and when. I, I remember going back and reading old results from, I think it was like CWF in Manitoba and seeing uh, Prince Devitt's name on there. So to yep. think that, that Finn Balor wrestled a match in Winnipeg back in like, you know, 2005 or six or whenever it was. And it's like, oh, and now he's wrestled in New Japan. He's wrestled in NXT and WWE and all this. And just like, holy shit. You, you people have seen him wrestle at like the Marlboro Inn or wherever the show was, you know? So it's really go perfect example walk- yeah. Winnipeg. Uh, how many people that went to Doubles Fun Club to see a PCW show watching Kenny Omega every month realized what they were going to, what they were watching? Mm-hmm. Uh, Coming up, what do you have uh, next on the docket for shows or things like that? Okay. Coming up, Calgary, Okotoks, Strathmore, and Medicine Hat for Can-Am Wrestling. Uh, 
April the 1st, uh, CWE returns to rookies for the very first live unmandated professional wrestling appearance. And I think it's like six to eight months or something like that out there. Mm-hmm. Maybe more. I, I don't know the actual time frame, but I do know there will be no limits to nothing. And we'll be at rookies fun or rookie sports bar. Um, where can people find you online? Uh, chance to plug your social media and all of that. All right. Uh, you can find all of my merchandise and things that I'm affiliated with at seanmartins.com. Uh, on Instagram at headline Sean Martins on Twitter at Sean Martins and on Facebook at facebook.com slash headline Sean Martins. Perfect. Sean, I truly appreciate you taking time out of your day to do this. And uh, if you're at that show uh, beginning of April, the first beers are on me. Okay, fantastic. Maybe I'll have a story for you. Thank you so much to Sean Martins for joining me on the Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast. I truly appreciate him taking the time out of his day to join me and uh, just talk wrestling and share some stories. So uh, look for him uh, with uh, Can-Am Wrestling out west, or uh, hopefully he'll be a part of the CWE show beginning of April here in Winnipeg. So just uh, keep your eyes peeled for him. Check him out on social medias and, uh, yeah, just support uh, local independent wrestling. Thank you to him. Thank you for checking out the podcast. I say it every time. I will always say it. I truly appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to me talk about wrestling and have fantastic guests on here. So thank you very much. If it's your first time listening, you can uh, find me on Twitter at GrainmakerPod. Shoot me a follow over there. Let's talk wrestling. Email GrainmakerPodcast at gmail.com. Questions, comments, concerns, send them that way. Up on Facebook, Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast. And up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. So if you could rate and review, uh, maybe, you know, tell a friend who is a fan of independent wrestling about this podcast and uh, send them this way. So thanks again for checking out the podcast. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon.